Good evening, and welcome to the Bonafide Moto Show. I'm your host, Joe Fleming, also known on Instagram as So Tall Right Now. Um, welcome to episode 26, I think it said. Um, it's great to be back. I say it every single week. It's weird not having shows three days a week, but it sure does make me miss being on the show and having everyone here. Um, but it gives me more time to prepare for um, each guest. And tonight's guest, I'm very, very excited about. Um, we, What's been so cool is that we, we really, I feel like we've been changing up the types of people who come on the show. Uh, for example, last week we had Wooly, who is not only a famous builder, but he's also a racer. Um, we have adventurers, we have a variety of people, and um, I'm just glad that last week I got a lot of comments like, hey, that was the favorite episode I've seen. Um, so it's really great that we're sort of appealing to everyone's needs um, and, and your own interest that's on the show. Um, so tonight's guest is um, going back to adventure. Um, tonight's guest is Matthias Correa. He is based in Brooklyn. And he um, had a really cool motorcycle trip from Brooklyn to the south of Patagonia and wrote a very beautiful book. I actually went to the bookstore the other day and uh, I wanted to look through it. I didn't have the money to buy it, but it was sealed. So I could only look at it, but it looks amazing. <laughs> um, but um, these shows are made possible by our partners at Motul. And if you've been watching this show, hi, Dad. Father's Day is coming up. Don't forget anyone. Uh, my dad's in Florida, so he's joined, and I think he's on his way to work or watching from the house. Hi, Dad. <laughs> um, so, um, caught me off guard. <laughs> um, so every week, if you watch, I always kind of do a, a, a product around Motul. And um, today's product is the hand cleaner. This is really cool. So, like, if you're out... Uh, working on bikes in the garage, whatever you're on a trip, you can just like put some of this like cream on there and then you swirl it around. You can see it kind of like flakes all this stuff all over my desk. And ultimately, it, uh, yeah, you can't hear this on the podcast, but it kind of like beads off and it picks up all the excess dirt and um, kind of makes a mess on your desk. So you can see all that. But my hands are clean, they're soft, and they actually smell quite good. So, today's product, the Motul Hand Cleaner. Go get it. Uh, I keep it in the truck when we travel. I keep one in my tank bag uh, or in the uh, somewhere in my baggage, just so that I can clean my hands um, and make them nice and soft, you know? Um, so, yes. So, um, I'm going to add Matthias just, Matthias just now. Um, if you have missed any episodes, you can uh, subscribe to our Apple podcast. Um, all of our episodes are there at the moment. Uh, for those in South Africa, we're currently being featured on the new and noteworthy podcast. So go check it out. Um, so Al, now I'm going to add Matthias to the call and we're going to get this party started. So Matthias called me yesterday. He thought the show was yesterday. Maybe I caught yeah, him. Hello. <laughs> How's it? <laughs> How are you? 
I'm good. How are you? Very excited to be here. Very excited. Thank <laughs> you, you for the kind introduction. Yeah. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Um, and you were excited to be on the show yesterday as well, right? <laughs> you know, with coronavirus, every day seems to be like the same day. So <laughs> I thought like it was Wednesday and I was ready to go, you know, but uh, I'm glad we're here now. So <laughs> I must I must be honest. Um, and like the, the first few weeks of our lockdown, I didn't know which, which day was which. Um, and the only thing that helped me know what day it was, was the fact that we had the show. Um, mm -hmm. Because we would have the show Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And um, it was the only way I knew what day of the week it was. So um, cool. it's good to have you now. Also, my mom joined. Hola, mama. Uh, so it's cool. It's cool to have your dad and my mom here, you know, with us. That's She's so Barcelona. cool. Um, She's so, so, oh man, you know, so this happened to me last time. I see here that uh, my feed has not um, like resupplied. So now it's just showing the same number of guests. So I'm not actually able to see any comments. Um, so I'm going to ask Al if you are on the show and watching, if you can WhatsApp me some questions. Um, and then in the event things fix, I'll get it sorted. So is 1902 Stella your mom? Yes, yes. That's, yes. Oh, That's cool. my mom. And um, Matthias, you are, tell us where you are at the moment. So I'm, I'm in Brooklyn right now. I've lived here for 18 years since I moved here in 2002. And um, yeah, I'm from Barcelona and my mom and my dad are from Argentina, actually. So, uh, and then originally were from Italy. So Italy to Argentina and then uh, in the 76, they went to Spain and I was born in Spain, Barcelona, and then I moved here in 2002. Okay. And um, what, um, what made you choose Brooklyn or New York? Well, I think New York first, because it was sort of the epicenter of design. Um, I think it still has yeah. a lot of that energy. And, uh, you know, I think it was a place I always also had jazz, which I love. I'm a saxophone player, oh, so nice. I love jazz, jazz you're design. Saxophone, and you're a saxophone player. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Not a professional nice. one, but I do play saxophone, yeah. play tenor. So it was a mix of all these things and the city has always fascinated me. So I chose that. And then I went to Brooklyn because it was cheap and I was broke. So it was much easier to live here for a lot less. And I moved in with my friend, Rick, who's still my friend today, a dear friend That's of mine. Cool. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. And I stayed in Brooklyn. I just love it. Yeah. It's uh, like I, I spoke to you the other day. I lived in Long Island for four years and um, Brooklyn, uh, I, I didn't go there a lot, but I really enjoyed that place. Um, it's really special. Um, it's got such a nice energy to it. There are some really cool bike shops, uh, motorcycle shops yeah. there. I went to Union Garage a few times. Um, it's a really, really great place. And, um, and speaking of design, you are in some circles you're known for. What was sort of your, um, what was the position or the brand that you started? Oh, so uh, in the 2005, six, uh, we started a company called Behance, which is you know a platform to showcase and discover creative work. And it's today the largest creative professional network in the world, and uh, network or platform. Um, and um, yeah, I mean that, but that was you know that was a 10 years of my life, almost 10 years of my life, and I'm very proud of it. But at the same time, I, I think I'm a lot more things than that. And I have a lot more interests, obviously, yeah. motorcycles, <laughs> photography, design beyond this company. Um, yeah. And uh, 
and in life itself. You know, one of the things that I learned actually building a company, a startup, a tech startup, is that it, it requires a lot of stamina and a lot of time and a lot of dedication, which was worth it. But at the same time, you know, your life sort of uh, passes in front of you and you don't get to do a lot of things. So once I was over with that, um, I, you know, had the urge to sort of step back and, and look at life in a different way. Um, yeah and do some of the things that I wanted, always wanted to do. And, and uh, now I, I was able to, you know, yeah. just, just reach the other, other places in my, in my wheel of interest and passions and things yeah. I wanted to do. And the trip obviously is one of those. And, and, um, and that was actually a question that I had for you because when, when Mickness, so for those watching, um, Mickness, uh, oh, let's forget the last name, Mickness Olivier, um, after the show, he said, dude, you've got to have Matthias on the show. Um, he did this amazing trip uh, on a motorcycle and he's the co-founder of Behance. And I was like, oh, wow, co-founder of Behance, like, so cool. You know, and like, I think like that is a great um, accomplishment. And sure. my, my question that I had for you was, what is more important um, to you today? What means more to you today as um, being the co-founder of Behance or going on this amazing motorcycle trip that you did and writing a book? That's a, that's a tough, that's a tough question because I'm very proud of having built something for people. Mm. Um, this is an, is a platform for other people to find better lives, better careers, you know? Yeah. So to improve their lives and sure. it's free. So we just build that for them, for my friends, for my creative friends, myself, you know, myself even, you know, everyone creative. Then I can be less or more proud of my journey. What it means more to me, I mean, I learned a lot building a company. But if I had to choose, I probably still choose travel, discovery, and adventure. I think yeah. as a human, I've grown <clears throat> as a human not as an entrepreneur or as a designer, but as a human, I've grown more on seven months than 10 years on that journey. Um, and that is my answer, if, if it makes sense. Yeah, so absolutely. it's not, I can't put them in the same scale. It's just, just not the yeah, same, but as a, as a growth, as a human, I mm. would, you know, I have no doubt I want to do another journey. Yeah. When I think about building another company, I have my hesitations. Sure. You see, so that's the difference. So I think it answers your question. <laughs> I think there's more, like I own my own businesses. I think there's more fear in uh, building a business than there is in like going on a trip. Like we have the guys from um, uh, the Buy Call Project and they did a Guinness Book of World Record motorcycle trip across the longest stretch of frozen lake, which is in Siberia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That doesn't scare me. I would gladly do that. Building another business scares the yeah. shit out of me. Um, well, I think also yeah, I mean, and also for me, it's the, the, you know, it's a question of ROI, no return on investment, you know, if you want to put it in a very sort of, what am I getting back? Money, you know, a little bit of pride for building something, that's great. But here with these journeys, the memories are so yeah. great and they change me every day. It's three years now after this trip and I still see things, you know, I still feel yeah. things, I still think about that moment. Um, and you know, building, uh, writing this book was also a way to, I was thinking about this when, when you and I were talking offline, 
making this book was a way for me to also finish it. It's a project in itself. The journey yeah. is one thing. The book is my way to say, hey, people, this is all I learned, not only about myself, about life, but also if you're thinking about doing a journey like this, why don't you take, you know, this book hopefully will help you get a, a basic mindset around what you would think about. Because I was agonizing for months before trying to figure out to not forget anything, to not be sort of too improvisational, which is my thing, not with the jazz, like I want to improvise, but here I was like, I don't know if I should improvise a lot. Yeah. So this basically is not a guide, but it gives you sort of a, um, a basis for how to think about the things that, um, that you, you know, this is not so much like what you should take, but you know, yeah. the minimal clothing that I took, I take more clothing on a weekend than I took on the entire trip, <laughs> you know? Why I like my gear, for example. This is only like 36, oh, it's 36 pages. Camping stuff, what? and why, you know? Not so much like buy this, because in five years, that piece is not gonna exist. So it's right. about yeah, yeah. the features and stuff like that. Camera, you, you're, you're appealing, you're appealing to my, my, my photo genetics up here in a, in a book. And you know why we chose the bikes, and we can talk about why we picked the bikes. You know the the non-computerized, non-sensor motorcycles, and yeah. then you know talking about working on your own bikes and tools, some spares, and then paperwork, and then the journey starts. You know, but I give you a little bit of a framework of listen. This is why I was saying like I I went on this trip for myself with my buddy Joel, my best friend. And then I decided to make something for people, you know, for people to take and for people to be able. And this, the beautiful thing about this book is that I made it in a way, for me, that I feel about this book, is that I yeah. made it in a way where if you pick it up in 20 years, some technology, well, the bikes will still be here. Some nice. technology on camping will change in photography, but it won't get old. Yeah. Because the landscapes are the landscapes. Yeah. Because we are still humans, you know, so I tried to make something that was a temporary. And these bikes have been around for more than 40 years. So they will still be around in 20 years, which will make the book hopefully still uh, relevant. And I love, I love that um, that seems to be a common theme with you, that you create things for other people to enjoy and, and appreciate. So like you built Behance so that people can share their network. And it looks like now from that book is that you created that so that people not just hear about your story and hear about this amazing trip but that they can look at it and they can learn from it and that it can be a useful tool for them to plan their next trip because i think you know i haven't read re uh, read everyone else's book who travels the world um but that seems to be a fine uh fine line between like a youtube clip and someone else's <laughs> book of tips and tricks and it seems yeah. like you hit that, like, hit that right in the middle um, because the That's pictures, like I'm a picture kind of guy. I don't just like words. Mm -hmm. um, so it does seem like you kind of hit that sweet spot. And is, was that sort of your intention? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you, you got it so right. I mean, you're explaining exactly. To me, if we were to sit down with a beer for three hours and you asked me all these questions, this is what I would tell you. You see, yeah. that's why that's it's just the same thing. I'm not trying to make a guide. It's not like a thorough. Like it's also my style. You should sure. know. Like I say, when I you know I carried this all this camera equipment because I like to take pictures, and I like to film. 
but you can go with your phone and you're done. Yeah. And I say that, you know, it's like, this is not like, this is the way to, guys, this is the only way to do it. It's like, yeah. this is how, because people ask me when, when we're talking about this and in the journey, people ask me all this, what tent do you get? Do you get, you know, do you, all this thing. So I'll just compile it in a book, you know, and said, well, this, these are all the answers to all the questions I've ever gotten. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, we'll continue to get so. The synthesis of the two hearts, your mom says. <laughs> yes. Yes, um, beautiful. She's a poet. <laughs> my mom is a poet. That's why I'm glad it. she's watching. I'm glad our parents yeah, watch this. It's so cool. And I, I had think my that... mom and my dad watching the show throughout this whole thing. It's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. One one thing I I really um, um, I guess let, let, we can talk about the trip. But one one question I had was that. Um, like one thing I loved about your interview I watched was you, um, the reason you chose those bikes. And can you talk about that? Why you chose those bikes in particular versus Absolutely. something doing? Yeah, I think that, well, there's a few factors that made me end up there. One is that for me, the idea of self-reliance, being able to rely only on myself, not that you want to ask for help if you need, it's just knowing that if the bike breaks down, I know what's wrong and I know how to fix it. Of course, if your gearbox explodes, it doesn't matter how much you know. It's extremely hard to even fix anything unless you have the parts or certain tools to extract certain things. So, but in general, and so far my experience has told me that, and experience of 40 years of other people, the things that break are just very small and tend to be electrical for example, electrical, not electronic, just electrical, like a coil or, well, these don't have condensers, but like small things, a diet board, a regulator, things that are tiny and small and they cost $20, $30, depends on, you know. Uh, but those can be switched up on the side of the road. Um, it doesn't have a chain, which means you basically don't have to worry as long as there's lubrication. Um, and it's designed to be worked on. It's designed to be worked on by you. You don't have to take the tank off and do all these things to just access the heads. So doing your valves is extremely quick. Taking the oil out is very fast and very easy and, and sort of clean. And it's just sort of all there. And then it does has no electronics, meaning it, like I had an accident and my, my lights, like the only circuit board, which is for the lights, it's not even necessary to have a circuit board, but it blew up and the bike continued to work. There's nothing, you know, like there's just, it's just gas, spark, a coil and a battery. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what it. you want. That's you want what you want. And, and they're oh. extremely robust, you know, after my accident, yeah. I had to paste together sort of uh, all of the, of the plastics, but the, the bike was fine, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was about self-reliance and, you know, I have a love for BMW. Joel and I, my friend, we just love uh, old, vintage BMWs. And I think you have to go with that as well. What moves you, you know, and yeah. I mean, the sound for me, the sound and just the look and the feel. And I think the GS is an extremely comfortable motorcycle. It's very yeah. capable on road and it's capable off road. Um, yeah. Now I'm building a version of it, which is the same core plus better suspension front and back and a few different changes, but it's basically the score. I want to be able to fix anything at any time um, you know and that's the that's the same bike that you took 
that you're yeah. modifying? Well, I, 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 I'm modifying another one. I don't want to oh, talk okay. about it. This is an iconic bike anyway. Like oh, cool. GS. Okay. But, um, you still, but do you still ride that bike? Oh, yeah. I'm actually okay. going this weekend to see my friend Jocelyn. I'm going like to Woodstock, you know, and I'm going to go. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I rode it to, I rode it down to New Orleans. I ride it every day in Brooklyn, you know, like I love oh, that bike. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, does that answer the question? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's what I loved was, um, when, and, and can you talk about how, how you learned to, to work on that bike specifically? And like, yeah. you guys chose um, one bike in particular, so you didn't have to carry too many extra spares. Yes. So, so basically, the interesting thing about BMWs is that from 1971 or 1976, depends how picky you get, up to 1995, the chassis is almost identical, the subframes are similar, the electronic systems are very similar, but then the heads and the cylinders and, and the rocker arms, mind you, different modifications here and their improvements. Um, the swinging arm and the drive shaft are sort of the, are the only big differences, but the bikes are very similar. So if you know how to work on one, you almost know how to work on wow. all of them. Um, not pre-71, which is a completely different configuration. So I had a 76, you know, 75, 76, and I have other bikes, they're all BMW. So once you start working around them, um, it's very easy to understand them. So we did pick an R80 GS 1985 and an R80 ST 1983, which basically is the ST is a street version of the GS. And okay. the only thing you have to do is put a longer front end and um, change the 21 front wheel. And then obviously, you know, just put the hand guards, but it's a GS, um, you know, as a, in feel. Um, so it has the same wiring harness and it has exactly the same spare parts, the same. So it was a very obvious choice. And I already had the GS. I already had the GS, so we only had to sort of get uh, Joel um, that bike. And then after that, I sold it because, you know, there's, there's such thing as too many bikes. Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is true. It is true. Uh, um, and, um, and what spare parts did you take with you on the trip? Well, it gets a little technical, and I don't know if it's worth me listing them because in sure. the end, I mean, it's not. It takes we can also tell people about, just read it in the book. <laughs> no, but I'm saying like you know, there's a lot of there things. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just that there is a lot of specific BMW airhead things. You okay. know, so that's why uh, I could tell you, but I think um, definitely we carry tubes. I know how to change a tire and a tube. And I think that's something I encourage anyone to do because it's not whether you will, you will get a puncture. The question is when and where. Yeah. And that's a big deal because you think you'll get the puncture at 10 a.m. next to a city. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's very willing. You know, like that's very optimistic. What happens if it's 5 p.m. when it's going, sun's going down and you're in the mountains or in a just in the middle of nowhere That's, that happens, happens to you me, just wait that, i mean you can wait overnight but then you're still waiting um, will someone that come happened by? to us um right before lockdown um my business partner alan and i were in swaziland and we were with a, a buddy of ours scott brady and just like you said five o'clock we just went for a sunset ride right across from camp 
right across from the street. We're like, yeah, let's go explore around those mountains, go look at the dam. And as we're heading away from the dam, we're kind of getting to this rocky section and it was becoming a bit, a bit sketchy. Sun as uh, we could still see the sun just a little bit. And all of a sudden Scott says, we, I think we had to get, we had to help each other down this section. And we look at Scott's bike, we're like, oh shit, dude, you got a flat tire. Thankfully, Alan, before we left, said, dude, if you're taking a backpack, put some of that tire stuff in there. Cool. I like this okay. guy. I like this guy. Dude, there's, there's photos on our page of using the tire weld. Problem solved. Took us yeah. five, ten minutes um, yeah. to like get things going. But if, we, if he wouldn't have said, hey, get the tire weld, it would have caused us another few hours to walk back and then another few hours in the morning. Um, but Listen, it was just being we were, careful. We were in this place, okay? Oh. This, is, this is Nazca. And um, we were just admiring the sunset. We took off the road to admire the sunset and, you know, we smoked cigarette. I used to smoke that Joe, I think still smokes. Um, you know, watching the sunset and then we're like, okay, let's, let's go. You know, maybe we're like 30 minutes from town Let's go. And when I'm like leaving, I'm like, whoa, did I, did I, you know, did I hit some sand? It's like, no, you have a flat tire. Like I made, you know, I gave myself a flat tire, but again, we have the tools, we have the irons and yeah. with two people, it's actually rather easy, you know? Yeah. And if your tires are not very old and dry and hard, took 20 minutes, we were on, on the go. Amazing. So always Amazing. carry that stuff. That I think it's primordial. And if you know how to work on your bike, one of the things that I think is important is that I think it's always good to understand your bike because even if you can't fix it, taking these bikes to people who've never seen a BMW Airhead, sure. but could fix it if they understood, it's mm. an important thing to say to, to be able to guide them. And one of the things, for example, is in my case, well, there was one day in Guatemala, I think, we got my first tire, it was very hot, I was very tired. Um, and I took, uh, you know, I walked my tire to a guy. I should know we walked the bike to, to this, this guy. It was really like we, we had a puncture three minutes from, from a guy that fixed him. And he was taking my wheel off and everything. And when he was going to put it back, he grabbed a very large Allen key, which I know you should not be torquing those little Allen bolts yeah. more than 10 yeah. mirrors. And if you do, you break the actual casting on the fork. Okay. And I was like, don't worry. I'll finish it. You know, like no disrespect. It was just like, oh, and I yeah. said something in Spanish, like, and he laughed and it was all fine, yeah, yeah. you know. But if you don't, he might do what he thinks he knows because he does. He, he works on all of them and he snaps it and then it's not his fault, really. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, I don't he, think he it's his kind fault. Of what he knows. So, yeah. you know, it's the long, it's all about the long haul. So, yeah. Um. And I mean, then, I, honestly, I, I worked on those bikes six times over seven months, which is an overkill. We're also doing a lot of miles, not five times, which means I did five services, but the bikes made it, you know, so. Um, and then did you, um, so you guys left Brooklyn and then your ultimate goal was down in Ushuaia. Did you guys fly the bikes back or you went road back up as well? We, no, no, road back, riding back would have taken another five months at least. So no, oh, we, yeah. we had to go, there was, you know just personal life and visa stuff and just also you know we never planned to to ride back we 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 flew them to new uh we went to buenos aires and then they flew back three days we had the bikes back it was a little bit of a problem getting them through customs because they're obsessed with the, the sure. dirt in my wheels, the yeah. dirt in my wheels. i've heard, uh, I've heard in cases. australia 
we had Henry Crew on the show a couple months oh, ago. Oh, he's awesome. And he's like, dude, don't ever send a bike if you're around the world to Australia. Like, you've got to polish that thing inside out. Like, if there's anything on the bike, customs is coming after you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, uh, Matthias, I've, I've got a question here from Glenn. Um, I'll put to you. Um, great looking book. And even though um, a bit Thank different, you. reminds me of Long Way Down and Long Way Round. Will this only be published format or will there be a televised version? Um, well, thank you for the compliment and then for the indifference. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I filmed only five interviews with craftsmen and creatives and different parts, yeah. um, actually six. Um, but no, I wasn't, my mindset was, was never to do anything with it. It was a, it, to take a memento with us and to be able to look back when we're old and fat and, and laugh a little bit. And then only when I came back, I realized that there was something that I wanted to share and that it was also a way for me to finish the journey, you know, to sort of like do a 360 um, and uh, put this thing out for other people. But no, 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 there's no, there's no material really to even, I mean, I have a lot of, I have camera, uh, you know, GoPro yeah. stuff, but at some point, it's how much riding, you know, they had a crew, it's, I, I love, by the way, two, uh, Long Way Round really inspired me in 2004, it just really oh, yeah. reignited a fire, you know, so uh, I have to say that even Joel is a little bit more skeptical of the way they did it, I mean, I, and I understand why, I am, um, I was always impressed that they just took their bikes and did 30,000 kilometers or miles, I don't yeah. know what it is. No, it's, impre it's impressive. Yeah. Whether they had a crew or not, um, the, they the, still the had to ride the bikes. Yep. Yeah, they still had to go through the shit. Um, you know, whether they are experiencing everything that you guys were or not, they still put in the miles. Um, Wolf, you, you can't Wolfsterner, Wolf sorry, I'm hard, hard to say, by the way, the, yeah. even the German translation is excellent because it's in German, English, and French. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. It's yeah, not in Spanish yet. Oh, it's not okay. in Spanish. There you go. Um, we'll for see. those in South Africa who are watching, um, I did go to exclusive books today at Hyde Park, and there was three copies. So your book's here in South Africa. Um, it looks good. This is, yeah. This is <laughs> because you were asking before about, I don't want to jump on your uh, cramp yourself, but I wanted to, to show you later. I chose some pictures, but you, you'll tell me. Just some pictures to so, talk about. Actually, so the, one, um, the one on the cover, I had three, I had three photos. Let me just pull them up. Um, sure. Yeah, actually, the one on the cover will actually cover the other one that I have. So, um, so show everyone the one on the cover. So that's the salt flat, right, in Bolivia. That's the salt flats of Bolivia, and I want to also show you the wider version, meaning that's a that's a cover picture. But here it is. Um, oh man, sorry, this is very entertaining. You're looking at me. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Um, there. So the there is a wider. I mean, to me, photography. Wow. You know, so. We just cropped it differently. Sure. But um, there are moments of light. Light is it. Light is photography. For me, light is like light is what moves me and makes me look at a place. 
I, I could even see something that is supposed to be amazing. If the light doesn't hit it the right way, I don't care to shoot it because there's no point, you know. To me, light is what makes everything, um, bring, brings beauty out. So when I saw this, I was just looking without us. I was just looking at the landscape and I was like, this is amazing. So people ask me, who is the third person that was taking the picture? <laughs> yeah. There's no third person. It's called a tripod. And yep. you put a tripod with a timer. And then in this case, this was actually only a timer, 10 seconds. It takes three pictures, maybe okay. half a second apart, pop, 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 you know? And um, I took three pictures. This is one of the three. Because one, this is so wide and massive, it's just yeah. worked. You know, I, I framed the picture, then you sit on the bike, you know, you have the tripod, you sit on the bike, and we're literally like the bike, the camera is in between us, and I boop, and it's like one, let's go. And then you take the picture. Because what's beautiful is that that's what you actually are besides the picture, that's what you're doing. You this is the true picture, just yeah. captured by me, but I did one, like, I, we would never spend more than three minutes taking a picture. Like, 99% wow. of these pictures, every single picture is me. Even the ones on the motorcycle, it's me oh. saying either Joel is looking at a map, or I'm like, Joel, wait a second. We just literally, with the engine on, that's why I have my camera and my tank back. I take the camera out with my gloves. I pull my visor up, which is why I have wow. a modular helmet, with my gloves. And I just take a picture, and I put it back, and we go. I don't like get up. Sometimes you want to stretch and it's fine, but like it's any, and there's two things. One that sometimes I see a picture that I didn't want to take. I was cold, I was tired, we were late or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, but sometimes I had to say, Joel, we connected through the intercom. It's like, Joel, we got to stop. You know, we got to stop. I got to take a picture like, like this thing. I don't know if you can see it. Joel is right there. Yeah, yeah Joel is right there. It was just one of you. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you see it and I was like, I, I got to take this Stay, Stay there. Stay. Oh, and one of the yeah. things that I wanted to talk about is, is that I think one of the, the things that I, I think I, I follow a lot of motorcyclists and, and a lot of them are great uh, photographers. And one of the things that I've noticed though, and, and tell me what you think about this is, is that for me, the only reason, well, Motorcycles are in the pictures because they give proportion to the shot. In this case, you wouldn't understand this road truly because you weren't done there if you don't see something that you know how big it is, like a person or a bike. And then suddenly everything becomes, you know, bigger, taller, you know, like more, more epic. Um, and it's always about taking a picture and the bikes happen to be there and give proportion. It's not about taking pictures of the bikes in places. Because how yep. many pictures of bikes do you want to see? <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's, so, that's um. You when you messaged me that earlier, that, that was something that um, and Alan Alan uh, kind of helped me with this through the years. Is that like the bikes don't necessarily have to always be in the picture, and sometimes that becomes the center focus. That our bikes are always the thing that people want to see and that's not the case the bikes are the the vehicle they really don't matter it's it's a bike you know whether it's a bmw or it's a triumph whatever it is it's a bike and you're gonna still go travel you still want to go see it um and and exactly like what al said small vehicle 
big spaces. So you do want to see what else, what's the context? Where are these guys? And yeah. and I've and it was because of travel that I've sl slowly started to make sense to me that it's not just my bike. Take a look at my bike. You know, like around town, sometimes it's kind of different. It's kind of tough to do that. But um, when you're traveling, you want to see everything. Um, you really want to see what that space is like. Not just the bike. Not everyone cares about your bike. But when no. there's a moment, you know, your bike's in the garage, like, nah, um, I don't have it pulled up. But I the post that I shared the other day. I'll um, bring it. Oh. That's a different, this one. But this is good yes. to talk about this one. Because in this picture, oh, love that in this photo. picture, the bike is a protagonist. Hmm. You know, this, this is called rebuilding myself. This is after my accident. I'm rebuilding yep. the bike and I'm rebuilding myself. But this picture is taken even with more impetus on the bike than on me. And yep. it's sort of subconscious, you know, and there's sort of darkness to it um, because that's the light that was coming through anyway. I was in a basement. Um, but in this case, the, the bike is part of the picture. It's supposed to be like that. Um, and I actually have a lot more pictures of just landscapes that I love. They're very simple. Wow. That just speak about, you know, a single road. Um, but I try to not make the bike, you know, I love landscapes. Sure. Where is that? This is Lago Paron in La Cordillera Blanca of Peru, Ancash. So it's wow. um, La Cordillera Blanca, you know, the, Peru is all mountains, really. So um, La Cordillera Blanca is, is, uh, is 200 kilometers of very, very high peaks that are always snowed. That's why it's called Blanca. No, Cordillera means, uh, I don't know what it means. I don't know how to translate La that. Cordillera. It's, a, like, it's like white peaks, you know, within okay. the Andes, within the big oh. Andes are thousands of miles long. Um, and this, this lake actually, it's Joel and I, this lake actually has a lot of limestone in it. So it's okay. really, it's really this color. It's, it's like teal. It's like wow. a, yeah. It's like a, like an intense thing. It's, it's astonishing. Um, but yeah, so photography, it's, it, I think is about capturing what you're seeing, not yourself or your vehicle. I think when you put a vehicle, then it becomes about the motorcycle and then the landscape or the place, it's sort of secondary to it. Um, yeah. And do you feel like um, because of your photography that it, it, al um, it allowed you to make that book? Because like, I think your book is very different in that there's a lot of strong photography. You know, you could have used just your words, um, but do you think it would have had the same, same effect of writing out that information? No. I'm a designer. Yeah. I'm a designer and I tell stories visually but i knew also that i didn't want to make a photo book like yep you know just photos because i don't think my photography is at that level my photography is about telling a story and the good sure. thing about finding this sort of style is that you then get to tell stories um and for example sometimes you know when you're just telling a story through words then you have to you have to explain the landscape but here, yeah. I put text over this image. I don't talk about the landscape because you can just <laughs> yeah, look at it. Pretty obvious. So, so you see, I'm playing with that thing. It's like, 
they already know where I am and I can say how I feel, for example, or what's going on, but not, so I think that is a different way to, to make a book. And also, I, I hope you get the book soon because it would be interesting to talk about it. Um, yeah. But one of the differences, I bought so many books trying to learn things and some, a lot of them are like, and then the next day we went here and then the following day we did that. And then, you know, we waited three days here and there. And then it becomes a recollection of what they did, which not always and not every, yeah. but it's like, well, I, I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I did either. It matters yeah. what happened while I was doing those things. How did I feel? What, what did I learn? Who did I meet? But not like, so my, the passages are, are, are not so much like, they're more anecdotal than they are uh, sort of uh, a diary of events, okay. you know? Yeah. So. And that's hard because I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of a chronological kind of guy. Um, but I actually have this uh, rock climbing trip that I did last year. And I've got these photos that I've never published. And there's a magazine that's been asking me for them, but I still haven't figured out the story to tell. And, and that's why I haven't. Um, there's been, multiple, I, multiple stories to tell. There's the one, oh, we, we spent 10 days on the road, blah, 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 I can talk about that. But there's, there's much more to it. And for some reason, I haven't, I haven't taken the time. I, I, I can't figure out that story. Um, Listen, it was a, I think that you're, you're, hitting, you're hitting it on the nose, man. If, you know, when I tell people that I'm going on a journey and they say, well, you make another oh. book. And I say, if there's a story to tell. Exactly. Yeah, I can't force it. <laughs> Otherwise, why are we making, why am I making a book? Just to have another yeah. book? Like yeah. that's purposeless, you know? So yeah. if things happen, not because you're going to a new place, it, it works, it, uh, it wants a, a book. Did I learn something new? I'm not going to make the same book with different pictures. Yeah. I, I want, it's just no point. Because yeah. I would feel like fake telling the same story in a different way, you know, like has yeah. to be. So I understand why you cannot, it's hard. And you know, you have to understand, you know, in my case, the good thing is that the big story was the journey. And then mm. I talk about things that, yeah, that move me in different ways about friendship, about the kindness of strangers, about, uh, you know, feeling lost and about actually feeling like I belong in that place. Like, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's an emotional book, you know, in many ways. It's a very personal tale of, of, of the journey that anyone could be going through if they took a trip. Um, I think that people who take a trip can read this and identify themselves. And if not, they can dream about, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and in speaking about um, strangers, um, you, in one of the videos I saw from your Berlin talk, you were coming across like a mountain range, almost, uh, I think it was at night, and you arrived somewhere in the dark. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sorry, I was imagining, uh, we got lost in the dark? Yes. Um, yeah. I that was um, in that was in Peru. We we were uh, we so we thought we had an easy day with Joel that day. We thought it was going to be like three hours, and Google said two two and a half hours. So he said three three and a half four max easy day. Awesome. We you know we're on a road, and then we take off as Google Maps says onto the mountains. Awesome, you know, beautiful, you know. 
and we start climbing up and it starts getting less and less left and you know you're climbing up because when the light changes you, your your carbureted motorcycle starts feeling slightly less powerful you can feel it yeah. it's less torquey and then also trees disappear this is oh, why yeah. you're like trees don't grow in high altitude yeah. trees other things grow moss and but trees don't grow or flowers because i'm not i'm not a biologist but for the most part, when you are in a big like highland, there's there's just grass. Um, and what happened is that the Google Maps kept saying two and a half hours, and I asked you, forty five minutes later, two and a half hours, and forty five minutes later after that, and then at some point we just it's five p.m. Sure. And we know at the time, you know, when you're on the road for a long time, you are aware of the day, like when it's going to come yeah. down, and like that sun's gonna come down and everything. And we knew that we just hadn't seen anyone in five hours, anyone, and no homes, no nothing, no police, no gas stations, no food, no nothing, just mountains. And at some point, Joel's like, oh, look, up there, because I was, I was going in front, so I was looking at the ground. The, the road is actually super steep, sorry, uh, the, the sides are super steep, it's just, it's sort of cut on the mountain. So it's not like a lot of places to go uh, or camp or anything. So we're like, what are we doing? Joel sees someone, we go up there, it's all muddy and crazy. There's a couple that lives there taking care of. But, uh, we don't know what exactly it is. And then they said, yeah, yeah, you're four miles from, from, the, from the town. I'm like, awesome, great. Yeah. So first, take this road, first, first right. Easy peasy, first right. So we take off, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. It's dark. We're already like an hour and a half in the dark. In the dark. Also, no moon. And if you're, if you've ever been like, you oh, know, wow. there's just nothingness. It's just nothingness. It's just your, your headlight. That's it. And that you know, old headlight, headlight too. Huh? And that old headlight too. Yeah. Well, I had extra like, external, but yeah, still, like uh, you couldn't <laughs> see anything more than 20, not even 20 feet from you, you know? But also you saw that we were like, we were in this steep place and so we couldn't, we were not going to camp on a road. That just sounds stupid, you know? So, and you couldn't camp because it was just literally nowhere to camp. And the ground was also wet and we didn't have, you know, we didn't just didn't know where we were and what we were doing. So at some point I see a right turn. This is two hours in, in the dark. I see a right turn and I look up and it's like, shit, fucking looks worse than the road we're on. And it's up, which is weird. I said, listen, let's go that way, five minutes. And if it's great, good, if that's it, if not, we'll just come back to this road. We take, first thing I see is very creepy. It's a white, rusty child's bicycle on the side of the road. And I'm like, oh no, what's going nope. on here? <laughs> then we're like, you know, it's like very like, uh, you know, weird, like horror movie. And then we keep going. And the next thing I see really scares me. It's very strange. It's black wall, dark. And there's these dots of lights that are just moving like this, like just flickering and like just moving, like very strange. And it's just black. And, and I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, what is this? We just haven't seen anyone in eight hours. And there's this light fucking show, but it's not a city. It's just lights in the, it's like if you put, puppies and you put like hang like lights on them something like that. Um, and i'm like Ugh. i'm like we're a little nervous we don't know we cross a little like a tiny river and i said listen 
I don't know what that is, but maybe it's people. <laughs> and as we are approaching the lights, which is, you know, we're approaching the lights and I start seeing like construction, not construction, but like wood and like maybe broken stone. And then, then I see a old like Honda motorcycle. And then I look up and there's this guy coming at me. And then he's like, hello, hello. And I said, listen, first thing, and this is why I wanted to say also the story is like I said, we need help. You know, the first thing I said to him, how are you? We need help. Like, it's important to tell people that you need their help uh, and see. And he shake my hand. He said, you guys, where are you going? I was like, we're going to um, Cajamarca, I think. Yeah, Cajamarca. And he said, Don, you should stay here. You're like five hours from Cajamarca. Like, okay. And 30 seconds after he shake my hand in the middle of the mountains with his family. So he's a minor. But 30 seconds after he welcomed us, he gave us uh blankets he gives water he gives a place to put our tents and that's what humans are out there most humans are like this and abraham was a father his cousin and his children live there they own this mine in the middle of the fucking mountains of ankash peru and it's awesome and uh they mine for gold and um yeah and the next day, by the way, the landscape was so beautiful and so peaceful. <laughs> of course. It's all in the mind. It's in the mind, you know? The sphere is in the mind. The darkness, you know? But in reality, that changed a lot in my head, like how now I, if I was to be in that situation, even if I was more alert, I still will feel more relaxed because I know that there's, it's just dark, but it's, nothing has changed. Yeah. You know, you know what yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm afraid of the dark. That's, um, it's, but it's weird. It's, it's something that like, when I was in the military, I'm, I'm fully kitted out. I got my vest. I've got a weapon. Like I'm fully protected. I didn't, it didn't bother me. But now like if my wife's like, Oh babe, the power's out. Can you go turn shit on? I'm like, no, you can. <laughs> no. Um, but it's hey, weird. But I've got protection like on a bike. It's a bit different. Um, yeah, but if you said like by myself going to the woods, I'd no, I'll stay right here. It's I fine. hear you, bro. I hear you. Um, and um, tell me about your experience with dogs on the trip. God damn it! Why do they hate us? I don't understand it. I really don't get it. Uh, I don't know if we make a noise. I don't know if they think we're threatening them. At the beginning, I was scared because they always look like they're gonna come at you. But yes. The more, I think we had probably like 80 dogs run at us, if not 90 or 100, because in what, I mean, everywhere there's a dog, they would just come at you. 99% yeah. uh, of dogs would do that. But then what I realized is that they are only barking. No, yeah. like, and at the end, I would just not care. They can yeah. just be barking, because I'm like, if you touch an engine, you're going to get burned. And I'm no. not going to hit them or any, you know, I'm like, and I have my boots, like, they, they're not going to come and bite you. I mean, that never happened to me or to us. So I think they just bark to scare you, but like no. you shouldn't ever pay too much. You, I never pay attention to it because sometimes you're going like 25, 30, 40, 40 miles per hour and a dog just comes at you and I just block it out. Like if yeah. a dog, and, I'm, and I love those, but yeah. is it I die or I run over the dog? What? like or war just kill myself like yeah, it's, it's a out. complicated thing it's a complicated thing because i'm like what are you doing and i'm like and i just start focus on the thing and just sort of brace myself and just go you know it's it's yeah. hard it's, I've, I've, learned, I've, I've learned through the years when it comes to Brian Napoli is laughing it out 
I've learned with the animals on the road is just uh, stay well, the course. If there's birds and there's all yeah. the animals, the birds are crazy. I I actually hit a bird. Joel saw it fly back from my wheel. Yeah, we've hit we've hit plenty. Um, I've hit I've hit a few on my chest. Um, come off that's, the helmet. That's hard. Yeah, it's like it's, a baseball. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. It, it depends bugs. on the angle. Oh, you know what I got? I got a bee that went here and and stick me back here. And I was like, oh. And I was like in the bike and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, and at some point, because we were going 60 miles per hour, at some point, you know, the wind just, uh, you know, sort of got her out of But that is, that's because, you know, I was wearing sort of like a little open, it was warm. That's not good. I've the had, um... I've had more bee stings here in South Africa on a motorcycle than I have in my whole entire life. I think I've been stung now five times, three times I've had a jacket. Um, we were on the bubble run last year, the year prior, and I had a leather jacket. And in between my gloves, you know, there's yes. probably like this much distance, in between my gloves and a leather jacket, somehow a bee got in here and went all the way up into my forearm. I've, uh, I don't know what it is. Um, not a good place to ride motorcycles and, and, um, and my, yeah. my mom is laughing. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so Matthias, we've got yeah. four minutes, four minutes left. Um, what are, what are some of your, I, I, I asked this question last time to someone, but what is some of your current like personal goals at the moment? I know that if you had some in the beginning of the year, maybe they've changed, obviously. But at the moment, what's uh, a few of your personal goals? Life goals or like more everyday Either goals? Whatever, whatever. I think that it's a good question. I think we're all thinking about this. I think and I'm in a moment of change where my goals are to really understand what moves me as a human being, what keeps me engaged, and I've been building a motorcycle for the last two and a half, three months. I mean, I started like longer for another long journey and in building motorcycles for other people or building motorcycles, but also building motorcycles for other people is something that I would like to do and that I want to do. Uh, and it's scary because, you know, you got to invest things in, in time and tools and, and the effort and you never know how it's going to go. Um, definitely build a motorcycle and take it in a long trip. So I, I took the, the crank out, I took the transmission apart, the final drive, uh, the swing arm, absolutely everything was apart. I'm not only putting it back together with improvements, but I also rebuild the transmission, the final drive, the crank, everything, you know, the carburetors, everything is going in there with better suspension. So it's like saying, okay, can I do this for a living? Do I want to continue doing? So my goal is to finish this bike and take it on a longer trip and see, see where that takes me you know i think um continue to travel the world with motorcycles even if it's not seven months at a time it's an important goal of my life because it's where i step back from my everyday my routine even if it's a routine that i like and it makes gives me a sort of a vantage point and it uh, helps me on the bike it helps me think because as you know the bike yeah. is sort of a bubble of yeah. sort of of um, meditation for me, you know, and I get to deal with the questions 
the bubble app always, but I'm busy. I'm going live in 10 minutes. I'm going here. I'm just like, you know, like you don't have time to sit down. <laughs> on a bike, who sits, you know, who sits down and thinks for five hours at home? It's very hard. But on the bike, you just get that time. And I think um, building this bike, continue to travel, taking this bike on a journey, and then, you know, yeah, I'm not, you know, and then a, in a bigger one, I, I always, you know, I, I think I, I also want a family, you know, and, uh, but that's sort of like on the bigger, on the bigger spectrum of things, but. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I asked you that question. Um, we've now got one minute and one second left. So it's perfect. <laughs> I can close out the show. Um, so Matthias, dude, I'm so grateful that our paths crossed. Like I said to you the other day, two types of people in this world the ones I would travel with and the ones I wouldn't. And I think you're one of them. And I feel like I'll see you on the road at some point. Um, I, no doubt. I think so too. Um, I look forward to having your book in my house. And when I get it, I'm going to send a picture to you. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Everyone my else, brother. thank you so much for watching. Uh, next week's guest, uh, we have Ernie Vigil, who is the stunt guy from Triumph. So if you've watched Triumph Elise Bikes, he's the dude out blasting them. Uh, this show will be on Apple Podcasts tomorrow. Um, Matthias, I'll send you the link tomorrow once I've got it. And that's it. Thank you so much for watching. Much love to everyone. Stay safe. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good night. Bye. 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 Well, uh, good evening and welcome to the bonus.